welcome to episode 152 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Sycamore trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to sycamore.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us in Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Army veteran Bill Leahy, an engineering team leader, maintenance superintendent, consultant, and business owner in the manufacturing industry. He and some colleagues have developed a documentary called Unturning Steel, chronicling his goal of helping veterans find a place in the manufacturing industry after his brother Sean, a Marine Corps major, died by suicide. You can find out more about Bill by checking out his bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Bill, thanks for reaching out and telling your story. I'm interested to hear more about Unturning Steel and your efforts to support veterans in the manufacturing industry. But before we get into that, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. My name is Bill Leahy. I'm a West Point graduate, entrepreneur, and an engineer. I left service and entered into manufacturing. I come from a long military tradition. My brother, Sean, who is the focus of a lot of the work that we're doing. He was a Marine Corps major, highly decorated, had a wonderful career. And he too left service and went into manufacturing, but it, it didn't work out that well for him. And then last December, he committed suicide. And ever since that moment, it has set me on this path where I wanted to change something, wanted to fix something. And veteran suicide happened to be the thing that we picked the fight with. So I started organizing all my resources and the, the Best thing I had was this small little company I'd started up a year before and said, how can we use that to affect veteran suicide? And we went back to the um, original conversations I was having with my brother late summer 2022. And we were talking about having him be the first student with us to go through this unturning steel program, but he didn't make it to that point in time. So at the funeral, I got to know some of the people he was working with in manufacturing. And we decided to do this program at that factory. It's kind of a whirlwind to get us to that point. He was an incredible Marine, a Marine Corps major, infantry officer, IOC instructor. And we lost him prematurely. And, and since that happened, I've been looking for ways to leverage the resources I have in my networks to, to really try to make a difference. And that has been my entire last year. As you mentioned, you're a West Point grad. So you were in the Army for how long? Yeah. So I did four years at the academy. I got recruited to play hockey there. That was my ticket. And I did not do that as well academically as the rest of my peers there at the academy, but I, I was an okay hockey player. So I got to come in and do that. I had four years at West Point, then went into the infantry myself. I went down to Fort Bidding and did six years altogether. Pretty uneventful career. Was actually very jealous of my brother and what he got to do and all those things. And now I kind of look back on that fear of missing out and saying, 
Maybe it wasn't all that bad that things played out the way they did. Not too exciting of a career, not much to talk about, but six years, no combat. But now I feel like I'm getting an opportunity to, to pay it forward now and serve again. And, and you said Sean was a Marine Corps major, and so he spent some significant time in the military as well. But both he yeah. and you left and then went into the manufacturing space. You just you said in the beginning that you were an engineer. And so what was it for you transitioning from the military into the manufacturing industry? Sure. A lot of people have experienced as a junior officer. So I was I was a captain for about two years. So no real. I didn't necessarily find myself in my direction and my where my next profession was going to be while I was in service. And I did it ad hoc. So I say I ETS and said, all right, what am I going to do now? And I got hooked up with one of those services, Bradley Morris or Ryan or one of those. And I did 12 interviews in a day and got a bunch of offers. And I went with the one company I recognized the most, which was Warehouser. So really, I stumbled my way into manufacturing. I, I did not. It was great location. It was kind of what I was looking for. And it was a leadership position, which I thought, okay, I, I don't know what my real skills are right now, but I know I can lead some stuff. So I'll go in and become an engineering supervisor. And that's what I did. And what I found is when I went into the career that way, I fell into it. I've really lucked out for a lot of reasons. One was this, this is a brand new field, this reliability engineering. A lot of people won't even know what we're talking about when we say that. So I'll just say it this way, reliability engineering you're the people at these factories and you're using all your analytical skills, all the data you can get and all these tools to predict the future. And as long as you make things more predictable, they're going to be more reliable on the back end. So it's very similar to what we do in the military as officers and operations guys is you're just doing risk mitigation. You're looking out in the future saying, what can bite us in the ass on this mission or down the road? And you use mitigating strategies for it. So it was really this perfect thing, but I didn't understand that's what reliability engineering was at the time because there were no reliability engineers at my facility. There was one in the company who I'm still very, very good friends with, and he's a partner on this project, but really it was in its infancy and it's grown up and matured in this time. And one of the purposes of this is we're wanting to make reliability engineering a core to U.S. manufacturing. Really, the idea of reliability is a, a core value right up there with safety, environmental, and health. This is how we compete on the global scale. This is how we really position U.S. manufacturing and what it really is, and that's best in the world. So getting back to that, and we're going to use veterans to do it. It's a, the basis for all of it. That was a long answer to a simple question, but really, I fell into manufacturing completely by accident, found my way into this wonderful field. And it really, I believe it saved my life. And I want to leverage that same kind of magic for other veterans that are transitioning out of service and present this to them as a viable option. Yeah. And I think that's really common in that you, you don't know what you're looking for. And then you found what you didn't know you needed when you, you found it. As you mentioned, you're now a business owner. Obviously, you're a veteran in this uh, manufacturing space. And you're currently working on a documentary called Unturning Steel. Uh, which is about helping veterans find a home in the American manufacturing industry. You, you said some of this came about because of how you lost Sean and where really his loss drove the project where it's going now. Yeah, it, it was tough. So wa watching my brother go through it, it my transition out of service was, was very difficult too. I struggled a lot with the, the mental health aspect of it. It's just hard. You go to bed one thing and you wake up something completely different the next day. And you, you've got to really find yourself in a short period of time. And I think if, if you've never really found yourself any time before that, it's a challenge. 
And so he was struggling with that. He was Major Leahy. He was an important person in the Marine Corps. Uh, I didn't necessarily have that in the Army, but for him, it was very true. And I think stepping out of that and not having that same kind of instant recognition and respect and all of those things can be kind of traumatizing. But he had a similar experience. He got out, went into manufacturing as a team leader kind of responsibility, but I got to spend a lot of time at the factory he was working at when he left us. It actually is where we did, we did the filming of our documentary. So I'll, I'll go back to how that happened. So Sean was there. He was going to be our first student. So he and I had been talking and he'd been struggling with transition and looking for good work. And I was like, well, I train people. That's what we do. We work with the University of Tennessee and we train people in manufacturing to manufacture better. And I was like, we can do that with you. We'll take you through. We'll get you the certification. And in this factory you're working at, you can do the work there. It'll benefit them. It'll benefit us because we'll get to demonstrate how a veteran can go through this. And we had built a pitch deck and we were going to go, I was going to go out to Wisconsin and pitch it with Sean to his leadership. But last December, yeah, it, it, we just didn't make it there. And a lot of the things, a lot of the conditions that position Sean to do that are exactly what we're trying to combat. So with the program, we're trying to give all these guys community. We're trying to give them a purpose and a new mission. In this instance, it's helping U.S. manufacturing. And then the last one is certainty, just certainty in themselves that they can perform these jobs and these tasks. My brother went into manufacturing and he was hired on a resume because he did all these wonderful, amazing things in the Marine Corps. But they take that and say, well, that translates perfectly into manufacturing. It doesn't. He didn't have a clue when it came to that. And that. Now you've got this big, strong, powerful person who is completely feeling, I would say, vulnerable, maybe for the first time in his life. I can't do this. I'm not certain I can do this, these things. And we were going to go out there and teach him how to do it. And yeah, and it, it, it just didn't happen. So we, we went out there with a different crew. But Metalcraft Mint is, is the, the factory we went to. They make all those wonderful coins you have behind you. So that was another really neat tie to it. So what we did next is we said, all right, if we're going to do this, if we're going to use this for our veterans and we're going to bring them into manufacturing to help out what made in America means, we need to do it in a way that touches every pillar of society. This obscurity of these reliability practices in U.S. manufacturing, we need to eliminate that. And it started with saying, okay, academia, where does academia stand for developing manufacturing leaders? And what we found in truth is that there really isn't a an academic backbone that, that runs this thing. Academia was uh, deficient and the University of Tennessee is so far ahead that they, they recognized and said, okay, we want to do this with you and cover this gap up. And then we said, all right, let's work with the government. They have all the resources in the world that we can get to. So we looked at the SkillBridge program and said, that's the key. Awesome program. I think it's the most brilliant thing they've ever come up with as far as veteran services go. You get access Six months prior to leaving service, you get all this support, you get vocational training, you get whatever you need, and you're looking at a real employer that you get to try out. So you're doing this cultural fit for up to six months. And that's what we've been telling these, these companies that are interested in working with us is, no, you guys get to know each other for three to six months. You get to find out if they're a match culturally, if, if they enjoy the work, if you guys enjoy each other. And that's certainty on both sides. For HR departments, it's certainty. And for the veteran, it's certainty that they can do the job. So it's really an incredible thing. So SkillBridge was the next thing we said, all right, we have to have that. 
So I went about getting that approved. That was the next step. So at this point now, we've got a university to accredit us. We're in this skill bridge system, so we have access to veterans. And we went about recruiting them and bringing them in. But we wanted to mix it up there too. So we said, all right, now we also want to bring in college students because they know how to learn. They have their clean slate. They're not jaded. They're not any of these things. So we brought some interns in as well. And we said, we need to touch manufacturing as well because reliability is still obscure in most of these companies. And a small company like Metalcraft, they don't have access to the services we provide to our gigantic companies. So we said, let's bring their team leaders in too. So now we've got three project teams of a veteran, a college intern, and a manufacturer all together to do these, to practice these skills. And what our program is, is we take these project teams and they do a continuous improvement project. So it goes beyond reliability engineering. So I'm sure you've heard of 5S and Lean Six Sigma and Toyota model and world-class manufacturing, all of those. It's all the same stuff, just put with different labels on it. So we take the best out of everything that we have and the most practical approach possible to make a turnaround for a factory. So we took 12 weeks with those guys on location in Green Bay, Wisconsin, ran them through our entire curriculum, did all the work on the, the project and filmed the whole thing. And the results were fantastic. And, and that's where we stand today. And so now we're out here in post-production with the film, Unturning Steel, trying to get the word out and get people to come and see us as soon as we get that off the ground and screening across the country. You know, I think that's amazing. And what's interesting about that entire sort of the journey that you've gone on there, and love to talk about the program here in a minute, but really it goes back to two brothers got out of the military. Both of them happened to get jobs in manufacturing. You happened to find the right place, but Sean happened to not be an exact fit. It was really just a flip of the coin. And what you're trying to do is make that happenstance happen less. Yep. And we're trying to, so I, I see everything as conditions. The conditions that we live in, they control our behavior. I'm surely yet. So if we set the conditions for a successful transition out, and I do think it's a flip of the coin just about for everybody, because where you fall and end up, it's, it is. And the military careers this way a lot too, is right time, right place is how it happens. And yeah, what I fell into was this new and exciting field that had a lot of opportunities, a lot of wiggle room, a lot of just ability to figure it out. And I think that's what made it so effective for me. And yes, I want to set those conditions for other. Now, if I was going to say I fell into a bucket, it'd be junior military or infantry officers for that matter. Guys that like to be in control, the ability to make decisions for themselves rapidly not deal with a lot of red tape, bureaucracy, and those kinds of things. And understanding that and where they fit is how we make these perfect career love connections. And, and we've, we've we switched the order in how we've done things. So this past summer, we found the vets and tried to shoehorn them into positions. And we learned from that, and that's not, that's not the way to do it. So now we've been traveling around. I'm mostly in the state of Connecticut looking to set it up locally here, and I've been talking with veteran nonprofits and different colleges and researchers and all these different factories. And they're all very interested in really the thing they most need is people, butts and seats. So I think looking at the statistics, there's 9,600 manufacturing jobs in Connecticut alone that are not filled currently. And these are great jobs. Uh, across the country this summer, it, it topped over 600,000 manufacturing jobs in the nation that weren't filled. 
these are great jobs. And everyone talks about going back to reestablishing manufacturing the way it was and back to our roots. And that's ah, no, it's not, not quite what we're looking to do. We're looking to grab a bunch of veterans that are forward thinking and operate in these dynamic environments and improve manufacturing. We're not looking to go backwards. It's a different, it's a completely different field than what it used to be. You know, the, the grimy overalls and that kind of stuff, which we imagine in our minds has never really been exclusively the truth. But now we're talking about our best people that are our easiest transition that are most ready for what we do are Navy nukes coming out of their process, their technical. They really understand that's the exciting end of it. It's technology-based, it's process-based, it's investigations. It's just really cool stuff that military folks are perfect for. I just can't say it any other way. You're absolutely right. And when we were in the military, we were problem solvers and critical thinkers, exactly what you're talking about, regardless the officer, the NCO side. And again, as you'd mentioned, many veterans leave the military and struggle to find those same kind of opportunities to engage those kind of things. We are in, in maybe media promotes that we are a service oriented country, right? That's where a lot of the jobs are in the service sector and and things like that. But I get the sense that these skills are easily transferable to the manufacturing industry. And even as we had started talking about it, and you mentioned the stereotype a little bit, I mentioned that my father-in-law was a tool and die maker, and it very much was that. That was his workshop was greasy. It was oily. It was grimy and all of these things. But this was in the 70s and 80s. And and here we are 20, almost 25 years into a new century. Why do you think it's important to the in, in really the role the veterans may play in reinvigorating the American manufacturing industry? Well, it's a lot like the military. It's it's generational. It's really interesting. So you've got this generational groupthink almost with how things have to be and operate in certain ways. And it was interesting that at Sawmill I was working at, they had those cool aerial pictures along the walls of the mill throughout time and everything. And I was standing there with a couple of my millwrights and they're like, oh, that's the house I grew up. But it was mill housing and all of these things like that. And that was very neat. So there's, they, there needs to be an influx of innovation is really where we need to get. We need people that are excited about being there every day. It's something new. It's a challenge. So people that want the challenge. At some places we go, there's a little bit of a, a high poppy phenomenon, they call it, where you don't really want to do good because you get your head lopped off first. So it's very much, let's keep it status quo. No one wants to push. And that's what veterans do. You can bring them in. They can make things competitive. They can look for innovation, continuous improvement. They're just really, they're a great fit for it if the conditions are set and they move into the right positions. And that's what we're helping them figure out is we're charting that course for them saying, no, this is the, this is a great path for you to take it to explore. And we're not, and even if our guys come to us and they don't fall in love with manufacturing and it's not what they need. The skills that we teach them, coupled with their military skills, make them so much more attractive than anywhere else they want to go. And in fact, our Martha Stamp, she was one of our people this summer. She was uh, worked in Navy hospitals. She was fantastic. And she's taking all the reliability skills she's got into the medical field. Because again, like I said, it's problem solving, it's investigations, it's neat. Really, if, would I compare this to anything? If I was going to say this is the best comparable I give to the military. For in the military, say company commander, you get challenged, they say, secure this city. The same kind of mandate comes down to reliability engineers for these sites. And you'd be about the same, about the same size. You'd have maybe a team of a hundred and some underneath you. And you would say, secure this factory. 
and you go about it in the exact same way. You find your step-by-step plan, you secure your foothold, and you build it out from there. So you pilot certain programs and build it out the exact same way. And it's and in all these instances, it's the same thing. This is what we wanted to do. Figure it out on your own. Reliability engineering, it's this is what we want you to do. Figure out how to do it with the resources you got and make it happen. It's awesome. It's interesting. You mentioned that you worked at a sawmill. I actually have a colleague who he was a Marine Corps sergeant, served in both Iraq and Afghanistan, right? And, and you know that comes with something, right? And responsible yep. for lives and millions worth of dollars. And he went to go work at a lumber yard and he handed him a broom and he was sweeping up sawdust and he lasted three yeah. days. And he was like, and, and, and he was the right person given the wrong job in a place like that. Whereas if the people who were in that lumberyard really understood what he could bring to the table, he might have a totally different trajectory, but instead he's got a broom and a dustpan. And again, that needs to happen. Absolutely. But it wasn't, yeah. he w- it was the wrong fit in the right place almost. And that's sort of what you're talking about. It is. And, and it's a, it's a misconception too. It's going to be that way for a while. We're going to be pushing the rope uphill, but eventually it'll click and people will see it for what it is. And that, that was really, again, I keep coming back to it, but I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a filmmaker at all, but the requirement for a film was there is we need just to get as many people across the widest spectrum of population we possibly could at once to really start paying attention. We wanted to demonstrate that we went from concept to delivery in six months, and it does not have to be a years-long process to develop this out. We did this in six months on a shoestring budget. We bootstrapped it ourselves, so we got it to where we're already putting veterans through six months later. You can act now. You do not have to act for, ask permission, and you just gather up resources. And you can do things, and that's really, if I was going to say, what is the one thing I want the movie to prove out to people is that's exactly it. You have the ability to act. Freaking do it and make a difference. No, I am one who can value and appreciate bold and decisive action. And it sounds like that's what you're doing. And again, uh, a lot of it is to support Sean's legacy. And I think to really be able to ensure that, like many of us, veterans and, and those who care for veterans, to be able to support them in post-military life. Bill, this has been great. If folks wanted to learn more about the work that you're doing, maybe about the documentary as it comes out, how can they do that? Uh, You can go to unturningsteel.com is the best place to find us. From there, you can register to get updates and links and everything. We're going to be putting up a new teaser video here this week, so folks can check that out. Really, what we're starting our countdown on January 1st, the countdown to our debut, which is March 6th at the University of Tennessee during their maintainability reliability conference we're going to do a uh, keynote premiere there and then also the following night on campus at a theater where we'll invite uh, different business leaders and politicians and to, to check it out so the countdown to march 6 will start january 1st and there'll be lots of information coming out and podcast and all of that stuff and I, I led one more thing i wanted to add is you talked about this is absolutely about my brother's legacy and i see it as an immense for both of us I'm an AA guy, I'm in recovery, and I make amends at any chance I get. And I was not the greatest officer I possibly could be. My my soldiers deserved a lot better than I gave them, and this is my way of making amends for that and that career that I had. And for my brother, it's, yeah, his legacy. So it's a passion project, and we will make it successful because we'll die trying. Otherwise, but thank you so much for having me. And I just so grateful that you took the time to talk with me. Absolutely. And we'll make sure to, that all of those links are going to be in the show notes. 
Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. As I had this conversation with Bill, it reminded me of so many other conversations that I've had with other veterans who have transitioned out of the military. And Bill referred to his and his brother Sean's different experiences in transition as a flip of a coin and equated that to the military. And he's right. A lot of the time in the military, it can seem as though things happen arbitrarily. There was one point in my career that my time for reassignment came up and I looked up my next duty station and it said I was going to Hawaii. I checked the next day or so just to make sure my luck held out and it didn't because my duty station had been changed to Fort Linderwood, Missouri. I didn't go to either assignment as it turned out, but that's how the military works sometimes. But the difference between the coin flip in the military and the coin flip that led to two different paths from the same starting point in post-military life for Bill and Sean is that the military structure is still there. Sean still would have been Major Leahy if he had been stationed in San Diego or 29 Palms. Once again, this goes back to the conversations about serendipity, which is a beneficial chance, finding something that you weren't looking for that has a positive outcome. Bill experienced serendipity in finding his position in manufacturing, and Sean did not. Now, I'm not trying to simplify this as a binary choice of good job, bad job, and that's what led to Sean's death. As we all know, the combination of risk factors and stressors that lead to suicide are infinitely more complicated than just two choices. At the same time, however, a colleague of mine once said, a lot of things have to go wrong for someone to attempt to take their own life, but many times it can be just one thing that goes right that keeps them from making that choice. And helping veterans find a place in post-military life that fits them and that they're suited for could often be that one thing, and that's what Bill's mission is about. At the same time, it's not just to the benefit of the veteran. Bill's goal is to help veterans improve the U.S. manufacturing industry. Skilled labor is difficult to find in our country. You heard Bill mention it when he said that over 600,000 manufacturing jobs were vacant across the nation last year. We had this conversation with Deputy Secretary of Labor Rodriguez back in Episode 100. We had this conversation when we were talking about cybersecurity and the transportation industry. If we can find a good fit for a veteran in an industry that is sorely needed for the good of our communities, then that's a win-win-win for the veteran, for the organizations that they're a part of, and for our nation. So I recommend that you check out the links in the show notes to see what Bill and his team have put together and see how you can get involved. So I hope you appreciated this conversation with Bill. If you did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share the PsychArmor course, What You Should Know About Transition. Transitioning from the military service can be difficult. It's more than just hanging up your uniform and putting on civilian clothes. In this course, you will receive a brief overview of resources and tools to consider during transition. You can find a link to the course in our show notes. So thanks again for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website at psychArmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are all committed to educating the non-military community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. 
I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcript by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.